Entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Been a great third down defense the last two weeks for Steelers. And they've got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. Now in. Glad to have you with us here on this Monday. Oh, yes, it's a Monday afternoon quarterback edition of the TC Martin Show. We got plenty of football to talk about what our eyes saw over the course of the weekend the NFL side, the college side, specifically at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. Yes, Raiders victorious again. This is beginning to be a habit. The Raiders winning. Five and two, sitting atop of the AFC West by themselves. When was the last time we could say that? I'm thinking maybe 19 years since 2002. Is this true? Do the homework, Numbchuck. Numbchuck on the other side of the glass, hitting some of the buttons right some of the time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what your batting average is. Speaking of batting averages, on to the World Series, my friend. Yes. Games one and two, Houston, Texas tomorrow. I'll be making my way there and uh, be in Houston, Minute Maid Park, back again for games one and two. Looking forward to that as the Astros clinch on Friday night, Saturday night. The Braves clinched, defeated those treacherous Dodgers. I don't know. There's a lot of Dodger fans out there, aren't they? A little bit sad today, huh? But you kind of had to see this coming a little bit, didn't you, if you were a Dodger fan? With the injuries to Mac Muncie, the way that Cody Bellinger played all year long, shaky at best, and then you've got the pitching woes that they've had, the injury to Max Scherzer, and the Dodgers are done. Yes. Even though they had 106 victories during the course of the regular season, the Dodgers done. The Braves move on. A team with 88 victories during the course of the regular season are playing the high-powered Houston Astros. And from a betting perspective, this thing is relatively close. The Astros minus a 140 to 150 favorite to win the series. And the buyback on the Braves, plus 20, plus 130. And uh, the key is, do I hedge? on my Astros future ticket that I got back in April. Me and Mattress Mac. But no, Mattress Mac did not get the 22-1 to like I got. And how much do I hedge? I'm open for some suggestions. You know, with that. No hedge? You're saying let it ride? No, I'm just saying let it ride. Be the gambler that you are. Oh, wow. It kind of sounds like me. But you have to do... The smart thing at this point in time, if you've got money guaranteed, the smart thing is to hedge. I mean, you've had this ticket out there for six months, six-plus months. You're saying, let's let it ride. Richard Dreyfus, let it ride. All right. I still got some time to make up my mind about that before I get on the plane to Houston. Matt Holt is going to join us today. We talked to good old Matt Holt, our good friend, part of our best bets on the uh, talk about what's happening in the sports book, U.S. Integrity. We will talk about the huge day again for the players as the players score big over the books. The books have their third consecutive week not real good. Seven-figure loss for some of these sports books as the public cashed in tickets on the Green Bay Packers beating Washington, the New England Patriots rolling over the New York Jets. And uh, yes, the public was all over the Las Vegas Raiders yesterday with that 33-22 victory. So we'll talk to Matt Holt. Steve Sachs will join us a little bit later this hour. That's right, the two-time World Series champ. He knows a thing or two, not about insurance. All right, see where I was going with that? You like that? Yeah. Farmers. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons, great actor, does that. J.K. Simmons, know a little thing or two. Steve Sachs knows a, a thing or two, a little thing or two, about winning World Series Five-time All-Star to boot, Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer, my guy, MLB Network Radio, and of course, the podcast of Sacks in the Morning. 
That'll get a plug today. So we preview the World Series with Steve Sachs. We'll have our conversation with that, so hang tight with that. All right, so let's talk a little Raiders and Eagles. The Raiders approved to 5-2 and two yesterday. They are first place, like I said, in the AFC West, a half game ahead of the Chargers, two full games ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs. And like I said, this has got to be the, the latest that the Raiders have been in first place by themselves, 5-2 and two, in a long, long time. I think i got to go back to 2002 when they won the division, when they went, went to the Super Bowl. That's it. All right. The key in this game was the 30 unanswered points. Raiders found themselves down 7 nothing to begin this game. But Derek Carr led this team uh, just phenomenally yesterday. 31 for 34 for 323 yards. Had two touchdown passes. Did have an interception, believe it or not, actually, on the Raiders' opening drive. But Carr at 31 for 34, that's a 91% completion percentage. Outstanding. Actually, the second highest in a game in NFL history with a quarterback throwing at least 30 passing attempts. And who holds that record? That'd be Drew Brees when Drew Brees went 29 for 30 when the Saints beat the Colts back in 2019. So kudos for Derek Carr. And we talk about you know Derek Carr being the leader of this team, especially since you know John Gruden was forced was forced to resign as head coach of the Raiders. And now it's Derek Carr. He's the veteran. He's the leader. He's the quarterback. And a big reason on why the Raiders are 5-2. and two. All right, let's get to the highlights and let's talk about a slow start again for the Raiders. And we're sitting there at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. And the Philadelphia Eagles win the coin toss. They get a good kickoff return. And they march right down the field. And just like that, Jalen Hurts leads the Eagles into the end zone. Kenneth Gainwell in the backfield. Three tight ends for the Eagles on second and nine. Hurts over the top. It is caught and taken into the end zone by Gainwell for an Eagles opening drive touchdown. Jalen Hurts getting the job done for the Eagles at 7 nothing, and sitting around Allegiant Stadium thinking, wait a minute, here we go again? Is this going to be Raiders-Ravens, Raiders-Dolphins? Is it going to be Raiders-Bears? Another instance like this? And then the Raiders get the ball. And then Derek Carr, what happens? He throws an interception. So the slow start happens. Then we the Philly TD to Kenny Gainwell from Jalen Hurts. And we're thinking this could be a long day. The Raiders give it up with an interception. And now you figure, okay, the Eagles can come back and, and score because they just marched down the field at will in that first possession. Luckily, they forced a punt. But then things started to change for the Raiders. They started to move the football, started to mix it up a little bit. Good run-pass ratio. And then, as they went down the field, Derek Carr found Foster Moreau. Nice play of the drive on second down. Carr fires. Moreau! Touchdown! What a catch! Foster Moreau filling in. Uh, for Darren Waller, who Darren Waller could not go, and that determination was made just two hours before a kickoff. Foster Moreau did not know he was going to get the start until that point in time. And, of course, Waller, the phenomenal tight end, one of the best in the NFL, and the Raiders without, uh, without Darren Waller, I mean, that could spell trouble. And Derek Carr even said to, um, to Waller, uh, during the, the pregame saying, I don't know what's going on here, man. I, 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 gotta, I, I miss you out there. He goes, i got to split up these targets to somebody else because I'm looking at you about 18, 20 times a game. But Foster Moreau is a capable backup. And we would hear John Gruden talk about Foster Moreau going back into training camp. How he felt like, man, they can utilize these two tight end sets with uh, Waller and Moreau. And Moreau just stepping in for Waller, didn't miss a beat. A uh, great game for Moreau. Had 70 yards and had that touchdown. All right, so the Raiders tied it up at 7-7. Next possession, they start moving the ball again, and this time it's the running game. First to goal from the eight. It's Jacobs. Cuts to the outside to the end zone. Yeah, touchdown Josh Jacobs and the Raiders. And the Raiders now led 14-7. to They added a Daniel Carlson field goal right before halftime, and that made it 17-7. to you like those numbers? 17 to 7? Yeah. Shout out to Christy717, by the way, too. Yes. Raiders executive, employee. I think she brought the Raiders luck. Christy717. 
Anyway, we go to the third quarter now, and then the Raiders tacked on and now made it a 17-point game with the running game again. The Raiders right now look unstoppable against the Eagles defense. Over 300 yards of offense. This is Drake. It is. He's in. Touchdown. Yes, the Drake. Everyone loves the Drake, don't you? Do you hate the Drake? Now you love the Drake. You know what I'm talking about. That's a Seinfeld reference. All right. 24 to 7 as the Raiders got it going. The third quarter continued on. And then the next possession, Carr strikes again. Now fourth and goal from the one yard line. As Carr throws to the end zone, touchdown. Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards on the receiving end of Derek Carr's pass. That concluded 30 unanswered points for your Las Vegas Raiders. The Eagles added a couple late TDs to make the final score 33-22. But really, for the most part, outside of that opening possession, the Eagles never in this game. And the Raiders took care of business, winning by 11, 33-22, improving now to 5-2. and two. The head coach, Rich Passaccia, talking about Derek Carr's unbelievable performance yesterday. On the field, he's a tremendous leader. He has an incredible understanding of what we're trying to do on offense. And then we can all see the relationship that him and Greg Olson have uh, running this offense is really coming to fruition, right? And we hope that that, that continues. But I think they, they both need credit when it comes to that. And then off the field, you know, Derek is the, the voice of the Raiders right now. And the players always want to listen to him. They always go to him. They ask him all kinds of things. I'm developing a relationship with him as going into our fourth year together. And, and um, so we can have conversations about a lot of things. But he, he's a tremendous leader both on and off the field football is real important to him you can see by the way he plays you got to remember that going into this season the big question mark was what kind of quarterback was Derek Carr going to be this year heading to his fourth season with John Gruden you figured okay he's got to be improved but we have seen signs with Derek Carr in the past we've had some good we've had some bad whether it was problems with the offensive line, uh, and it really hasn't been not having the weapons. I mean, you go back to when Amari Cooper was here. I mean, they the Raiders have always had tremendous wide receivers. They've had weapons. The running game pretty much has been there. But the decision-making from Carr has usually been questioned. And heading into this season, there weren't a lot of people that firmly believed that Derek Carr could lead a team deep into the playoffs. But we're starting to see that now. And then when the when Gruden had to step down, going back now to two weeks ago, two weeks ago to this day, that, um, you know, how is he going to lose uh, his mentor? But luckily, there is that relationship with him and Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, who have been together just as long as he's been together basically with John Gruden. And Olson has a great grasp of this. And you can even maybe even make the argument now that maybe Greg Olson's Hands were tied a little bit offensively because they're doing more things with Carr and moving him out of the pocket where maybe Gruden was hesitant to do. So whatever it is, it is working. And the Raiders are 5-2. and two. Derek Carr has put up phenomenal numbers. Another game over 300 yards. 31 for 34. Just grasp that for a second. 31 for 34. 323 yards. Two touchdowns. 91% completion percentage there. Outstanding. And again, when you think of Drew Brees in 29 for 30 that he had you know, two seasons ago, amazing that Derek Carr now has the second highest percentage, completion percentage in a game in NFL history. So kudos. The Raiders amassed 443 yards all together, 117 on the ground, and then Carr 323 uh, uh, through the air. All right, here's a little bit more from Rich Basaccia talking uh, after the game yesterday and talking about how the Raiders started off a little bit slow, but then once they got it kicked into gear, the 30 unanswered points. Yeah, well, again, we're you know we're, we're, we're preaching turnovers, and again, what I say, we end up plus one. They get the two. Uh, Ball's knocked out, the two fumbles. So um, some we had the good punt return, gave us good field position. But, again, I can't say enough about Greg and, and um, what they're doing on offense, his direction, his leadership, and then hand-in-hand hand with what Derek's doing. And then, obviously, collectively, they've been together, and they're, um, I think they're doing a good job of, of um, coming out with a, um, a vision of what each game should look like, and, and I think Greg's spearheading that as well. You know what Rich Basach is doing? He's getting out of the way. He is basically saying, 
Greg Olson, do your thing. Total confidence in you. And Rich Passaccia, remember, I mean, he's an interim coach. He's a special teams coach. It made sense for him to be the hire because he was John Gruden's assistant coach, has known Gruden probably longer than anybody on that staff, and he's just doing his thing on the special teams and saying, Gus Bradley, do your thing on the defense. Rich Passaccia, or, or rather uh, Greg Olson, do your thing uh, with the offense. You and Derek Carr continue to communicate. I'm fine with whatever you're doing. And again, if it's not broke, you know, no need to fix it. So very, very uh, impressive and a different type of leadership. Now, like we said last week, we're playing you these sound bites, and normally we're playing John Gruden, especially after losses. Gruden is going to give you some, uh, you know, some some crazy answers. He's going to let his emotions ride on his sleeve, and when he's in a good mood, he, he's a lot of fun. Rich Basaccia, we haven't talked to Rich Basaccia after a loss yet. Okay, he's two and zero. He wins last week in Denver. Wins at home this week against the Eagles. He's two and zero, but still, he's that even keel guy. Doesn't seem to have a really boisterous personality. And you can tell he's a little bit uncomfortable speaking in front of the media. And again, he's been in this league for a long, long time, but you know, he doesn't have the media days. Special team coordinators, you know, don't face the media. They don't have their their slotted time each and every week like a head coach does and the starting quarterback does or your star player does. So Rich Pisacci is not going to give you probably the best or the most sexy sound bites. But uh, what he is saying it is that, you know, hey, he respects Derek Carr. He appreciates what, what Carr is doing with Greg Olson, and he's basically you know leading this team now. And it's a learn-and-go basis for Rich Passaccia as well, too. All right, speaking of Derek Carr, let's uh, hear from him as he talks about playing yesterday without his favorite wide receiver tight end, Darren Waller. Well, we got good players. Um, this isn't, you know, only his team. Now, do we miss him? Absolutely. You know, um, Darren knows how I feel about him, and I think y'all do, too. I think the targets themselves speak for how I feel about him. And, um, you know, we laughed at it about on the sideline. I told Darren, I was like, that's so weird not having you out there. You know, that's – I, I joked around, I said, that's 20 targets. i got to disperse to some other people now, you know. <laughs> and uh, um, But we're – I mean, we got good football players. And, um, you know, I, I think we showed today that, you know, we, you know, Josh, you know, gets, you know, out the rest of the game and Darren's out we can still win you know um Foster proved how how valuable he is and how good he is to this organization um how good of a football player he is uh what an opportunity for him really and uh he stepped up and obviously made some outstanding plays for us down the field all right Foster Moreau big game filling in for Darren Waller and again more than capable and you know Foster Moreau also and I I mentioned this before he's got a heck of an arm Remember? Throwing the t-shirts at the Aces game. I mean, who is this guy? He came out there dressed in some type of beach shorts or something like this. I mean, who is this guy? And he's firing up to the upper deck. Almost as good as my man Jay Schrader up there. You know, coming over and firing at the, at the Aces game. Well, you don't think so? Nah. Yeah. I mean, Jay Schrader's got a gun. No question about it. But Foster Moreau, yes, very impressive performance yesterday. And like we said, a guy who is more than capable of stepping in. And this guy could be one of the best tight ends in the game if maybe he was with another team and got got more snaps because with Darren Waller you know, in the lineup, uh, Moreau's only going to get a couple targets a game. But now we'll see um, you know, going forward here if he does get more targets and we'll see how long Waller's going to be out for. So that's Derek Carr talking about playing without Darren Waller yesterday. How about the offensive line as well, too? This is a situation where this team has been banged up. I mean, Richie Incognito hasn't been healthy since he got here two years ago, and it's just been a kind of makeshift offensive line. You could get away with this type of makeshift offensive line against a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, but you couldn't get away with it You know, two weeks ago against the Bears and Khalil Mack and company. But uh, 2-0 the last couple weeks, offensive line, their performance, been pretty rock solid. We're going to go as they go, you know. Um, you know, if we, you know, if they make the holes and you know we have time to throw it, um, you know, we, we feel confident in our attack, um, and uh, I'm very proud of those guys. And they should get a lot of credit because we have five wins, right? Um, you know, and the it, it all starts up front in this league. You know, if if you can dominate the the line of scrimmage, you you have a good chance to win the football game. And they've done a great job for us. And you know. What they showed me in practice is why I wasn't worried, you know, and the mistakes that would happen in games is why I wasn't worried, you know. Um, it wasn't cause for concern. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect going forward. It just means that if we continue just to do right, good things happen. And uh, so far they, they did a great job. I mean, I turned around on some of those run holes and some pretty big lanes in there. 
All right, Derek Carr's talking about the offensive line performance. Uh, pretty rock solid yesterday, opening holes up for Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. Remember, Josh Jacobs got injured during this game after that touchdown run, and then so uh, a lot of it had to fall on Kenyon Drake. And, uh, you know, the Raiders have shown uh, plenty of depth here as well, too. But going back to Derek Carr and the leadership that he has had here, since John Gruden has left, who is the face of the Raiders right now? You could say it's not Rich Bisaccia. We know that. It's not Gus Bradley. And even though Gus Bradley has been a head coach in this league, remember we talked about this. That's why he didn't, they didn't uh, anoint him as the head coach because he just doesn't know these players you know, well enough, especially guys on the offensive side of the ball. And it's not Mark Davis, <laughs> but who is your leader in that locker room right now? Who is that leader on the field? It is your quarterback. It's Derek Carr because he has been there the longest. And here's Derek Carr, uh, Derek Carr talking about his increased leadership role on this team. You know, I talked a little bit to see what about this. You know, when when Coach Gruden would walk in a room, all eyes are on him. You know, and uh, and when we when we lost that, someone you know someone has to fill that void, and it's not only me. But obviously, as the quarterback and leader, I've been here a while. Um, I was like, you know what, I got to take that part of what I do to another level, and. Um, so some of the stuff I did when you know other coaches were here, you know, uh, I would always go over there and t- talk to Khalil or talk to the you know Jelly or the defense and get them going. See Wood, all those guys, and and now um, I just trying to I'm just trying to do everything I can to encourage, uplift, and motivate our guys uh, to keep going, you know, um, in every situation. So it, it's not only me, but um, I, I appreciate him saying that. All right, Derek Carr, and you know what else is working for this team here? the camaraderie that you're you're seeing here, and especially with these home games. I mean, you see how much fun this team is having. Here's Derek Carr talking about how this team is feeling at 5-2 and two right now and how the winning has turns in to fun. Well, we're having a blast. You know, winning is fun. You know, that, that's for sure. You know, losing in the NFL is hard on everybody. Um, but when you win, it's a lot of fun. And right now we are, we are having a lot of fun. And if I pulled out... My notes, you know, the last note I always write, you know, Saturday night, as I, I wrote the last couple of weeks, is just have fun, and I underline an exclamation point, it, you know. Because um, sometimes you forget that along among a lot of the questions, a lot of the things going on. is It's just still a game. you got to remind yourself, have fun when you hit the field, you know. And uh, I think the last the last two weeks, I've just tried to remind myself of that, you know, is um, uh, for sure. I mean, I'm glad that you see that because we are having fun. You know, it is something that we're preaching. Man, have fun. Have a blast. We work too hard. To go out there up tight and all like, man, be free, have fun, cut it loose. And like I said, winning is what makes it fun. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the guys are making plays and the, the expression, you know, the swagger that our team is showing is coming out and it's fun. All right. Winning is fun. And you know who else is having fun? The fans are having fun too. I mean, Legion Stadium was rocking again yesterday. And when this team fell behind 7 nothing, there were these looks like, oh boy, here we go again. But, and then the car threw the interception. It's like, ah, here we go again. But then they responded big time, and uh, the offense is rolling, and uh, they got it going. It was, it was just a lot of fun yesterday, no question about it. All right, here's Derek Carr talking about the defense stepping up big. If we can play you know, the defense type of defense that we're playing, um, then we're going to be able to do some good things you know, in this, you know, down the stretch. And um, I'm very thankful uh, because, you know, you can score as many points as you want, but if you give them up, it doesn't matter, you know. And, you know, there's days where we need to rely on them, they need to rely on us, but if we can play team football and we can put points on the board and go get them a lead, then they can play. Um, that I mean, that's the formula. You know, you, that, that's the winning recipe. You know, we got to play together. It can't just be one-sided. It's got to be all three phases. And the last two weeks we've played all three phases really well uh, together. And special teams, maybe I don't know so much, but, you know, uh, the other two we've been pretty well. All right, and that's going to be the key for the Raiders. If they want to continue winning, they want to make a playoff run here. We know the offense can score points. The question is, how is that defense going to react in big game situations? And they passed the test again yesterday. They passed the test against uh, two teams that arguably you feel, just from a roster standpoint, the Raiders are better than the Denver Broncos last week, and then, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles this week. But the defense, big time, contributed. Didn't have a whole bunch of sacks. Only had two sacks on, on Jalen Hurts. I mean, one of those was kind of a botched uh, fumble uh, that the Hurts had uh, on a bad snap from center. But uh, only two sacks yesterday. 
And, um, you know, the Raiders uh, played well defensively. All right, final thing from Derek Carr here. As he talked about the depth being such a big key on this team, we've seen the Raiders just get hit with all kinds of injuries. We've talked about the Darren Waller injury. Boom, in steps Foster Moreau. Josh Jacobs has been injured uh, for a good portion of the season. Boom, they sign uh, Kenyon Drake, or they get Kenyon Drake in the offseason. And then, uh, you know, they sign other people to to back him up as well, too. So uh, we've seen the Raiders' depth really be a positive. I would say that our, our depth has just grown, you know, uh, grown up. You know, they, they're mature, they, they're experienced. That's the kind of guys grew and, you know, Mr. Mayock brought in is, um, you know, we, we have always, we've always said, like, uh, if Josh was out, well, we have things for everybody, you know, and that's just how the system has been built for four years, the foundation of what we do. And when Darren's out, I mean, we believe Foster is a starting tight end, you know. And so when he has to play, it's not, it's not like oh, Darren's out. It's like no, Foster gets to play. You know that you see the difference, like in the mindset. Um, and then you know you go hug Darren because you miss him, right? Obviously, he's the best, you know, you know, one of the best players on our whole football team. But at the same time, it's like all right, Foster gets to play. And same thing with our running backs. Like Jalen's in, we feel great about him. Kenyon's in, we feel great about him. You know. Uh, when Peyton was playing, if Peyton has played, we feel great about Peyton, you know. And uh, I think that even at the quarterback position, we got Marcus and Nate. Both have been starters in the NFL. Like, it's hard to find that kind of depth where you have it everywhere. Our receivers, Willie, you know, Zay, they've all been starters at some point. And if you have that, when guys go down, there's confidence when they get in that you can just still run your plays. All right, there's Derek Carr. Uh, talking about the depth on this team, and that is a huge reason why the Raiders are 5-2, and two, sitting in first place in the AFC West right now. Half a game ahead of the Chargers, two games ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs, and how about the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday? And we're going to talk more about this next hour with Matt Holt. Kansas City, they are 3-4 and four right now. The Kansas City Chiefs are 3-4. and four. The team that you figured was going to win the AFC West going away. And how about the the win total that if you bet the Chiefs early on the season, you know, win total what at 12, 12 and a half, people go, oh, yeah, okay, no problem. That thing will fly over, right? This team's three and four right now. And Nunchuck's playing the taps. Are you saying you think it's over for the Chiefs already? My man Curtis is saying that too. Fab Five Freddy Curtis, diehard Chiefs fan. He went against the Chiefs yesterday. He went money line Tennessee. Come on, man. I thought Patrick Mahomes would just have a field day against the Tennessee Titans defense yesterday. But no, 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 my friend. Revenge. The revenge factor. Going back. AFC playoffs. Remember that? Tennessee Titans. They won payback. Hmm. It's like the Buffalo Bills did. Yeah, they got it. The Chiefs. Wow, they look bad. And yes... I thought that the Chiefs were going to respond. I thought the Chiefs were going to pick up where they left off last week. Remember against Washington on the road? They struggled in the first half. Second half, boom, they turned it up a notch. Yeah, they'll just pick up right where they left off. Wrong. They scored three yesterday. A Harrison Butker field goal. That's it. Three. The Chiefs, three. How can you say three in the same sentence as Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill? Are you kidding me? Three? It's pathetic. Twenty-seven to three, Chiefs. Man, Raider fans got to love that. Think about that. You are two full games ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs in the standings. All right, Raiders still got a. They got a schedule ahead of them coming up though. Got a bye this week. All right, then they go to New York slash New Jersey. Play those lowly Giants. Should be six six and two, right? Sound familiar? Six and two last year? Yeah, right, right. Uh oh, wait a minute. We know what happened after six and two last year, right? But then they got the Chiefs coming up twice. They got to play the Browns. They got some tough games coming up. All right, check it all out. All right, there you have it. All right, there's your uh, your Raider update, and we'll hit a little bit more with that. Uh, a little bit later on. All right, when we come back, Steve Sachs is going to join us as we talk World Series preview. You got to love it. Astros, Braves, next. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age. The Dr. T.C. Martin. Yeah. Get ready. 
to go to Houston. Why do I start? I start thinking Houston. I start going into a like southern drawl, like I'm talking to Houston Nut again or something. And I get a little Eric Clapton here. You gotta love that. Our next guest loves a little Eric Clapton as well, too, as we know. Seventies on seven. The king of it all, the two-time World Series champ, the five-time All-Star, and uh, the Rock and Roll, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, whatever I want to say here, aficionado, Steve <laughs> Sachs. That's what he is. What's going on, Saxy? What's up, TC? I, I found a new song that somebody should write for <laughs> series uh, set for seven on seventies on seven. Okay, let's hear it. The name of the song should be called "Wait for It Now." Okay. Don't. Shake my quake. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shake your We have breaking news, Steve Sachs. Are you ready? It, ladies and gentlemen, it only took Steve Sachs 13 seconds into this interview to bring up the long-lost quake. But today, Steve Sachs, you must have karma. You must have ESPN. You must have something going on. Because today, Steve Sachs, is the quake's birthday. Oh my God! Today's the Quake's birthday, so let me guess. Um, he must be. Let's see. I think he's probably forty-seven Tremblers. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say something like that. What's his birthday? I don't know. Six point seven <laughs> on the Richter scale. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the the quake take take an actual guess because I actually do know how old the quake is. What do you think he is? Uh, let's take, see. Take, well, well, you you've seen count- the, you've seen the latest pictures. You've seen it. I, well, yeah, and you can count trees by the rings <laughs> around. So I'm going to try to do that with the quake. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say the quake's busting out about 42, 43. Oh, ring it up, 43 it is. Yeah. Right on. Oh. How's that? Uh, what's what, what's bigger, the, the Quake's age or his waist size? Uh, well, come on. We all know the answer to that one. <laughs> Just watch the video. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There it is. Our former producer, the Quake, who Steve Sachs still has mad love for. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I wish all the Quake the greatest luck in the world. Are I know. You me? I know you do. Love the Quake. I know. I mean, come on. He's got. He's, he's fond of you. He's got the old Steve Sachs jersey. Yeah. Uh, there it is. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. There's there's mutual make, make, mutual affection. Make no mistake. Hmm. We're fond of the Quake. <laughs> there it is. Hey, speak, speaking of which, speaking of which. I'm listening in my car, listening to MLB Network Radio the other day, and all of a sudden, Steve Sachs didn't just bust out a rhyme, okay, like Busta Rhymes. No, not like the Sugar Hill Gang, not like Run DMC, not like my man Curtis Blow, but no, he starts busting out a limerick. I don't know if he's got a little Irish in him. You busted out a limerick. You know that I was listening, my friend. You're gonna well, have to recite your limerick just like your girl, uh, uh, you know, you know, Jenny seven nine seven. Yeah, whatever. Wait, what's what was the like song? It. What was the Jenny? Uh, what was the the song that Jenny did? What was it Jenny seven six five three zero nine something like that? That was oh, Jenny, right? Eight six seven five three zero nine. There it is. That's right. There it is. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, but my, my like, limerick was was a good one. I really liked my limerick. But uh, yeah, yeah. I wrote it down, then I threw it away. But I can remember it. I'll, I'll do you later on the show. Okay. Uh, Numchuck Num is requesting a, a quake, a quake poem or a quake limerick. Can you come up with one of those for oh. us? Well, I'll yeah, I'll see. If I can dip into my mental Rolodex and see if I can come up with a quake. There. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can come up with one. If not, you can find it. Maybe I'll post it on the uh, uh, Sacks in the Morning podcast, and they can go check that out online. There you go. There you go. You know, for after some after they sign up, PC after they sign up for free. That's it. Sign up for free. Let's, let's plug away here. Shameless plug. It's Sacks in the Morning podcast. You sign up. That's all you have to do. Go where you get your podcast and listen to Sacks in the Morning daily. He will give you a little uh, oomph of wisdom, so to speak, no. and then every other no, Thursday. Huh? It's a it's a it's a little shot of a emo, of a emotional nutrition Ooh, in the morning. I like that. And today we had a good one. It's all based on it's all based on pressure and choking in certain situations. So this is a good one today. It talks about the. It, I don't try to get too deep on it. Don't act like I'm really that smart. But we talk about the free uh, the prefrontal cortex a little bit. I got this right out of. Uh, or right out of a, uh, let's see, which magazine am I reading at that time? Oh, that would be um, 
I'll figure. Uh, let's see. That was Hustler, the Playboy the, Hustler. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I was I, I don't. I don't indulge in those those uh, types of magazines because oh. there's nothing what? for me to gain there, right? This is just true. A, that's true. That's yep. just a. Uh, that's just a picture book, right? That's it. Nothing much for the intellect there. You're right. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so what we're talking about is Harvard Business Review. That's where I get a lot of my stuff for coaching and speaking. I love Harvard Business Review. And, the, and today's episode is about, you know, is about dealing with pressure. And sometimes when you have some of those physical signs like a racing heart or, you know, sweaty palms mm-hmm. or whatever that might be, that's actually a good thing. So mm. if you tune in, you'll see why. All right, there it is, Steve Sachs, Sachs in the morning, and the long-form podcast every other Thursday. you got some long uh, right. uh, form. You know, why do, for some reason, why do I think that you're going to have the quake on uh, for an interview before you have me on, which really doesn't make sense. But I think hey, we might do that. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. The quake, I'm sure the quake listens, so oh, yeah. wherever he is. Yeah, there he goes. All right, Steve Sachs, are you ready for the World Series, brother? We ready to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll rock. Uh, I'm looking forward to the World Series. I was fortunate to play in two of those, and it's the greatest thing ever. So let the games begin. All right. I want to talk to you about a plethora of angles there, and one that you just brought up. But I'm going to, I'm going to save that for, for a heartbeat here, my friend. First of all, let's break down these teams. I want to talk about the Atlanta Braves side here. This is a team that pretty much was 500 for most of the season. They were in the N- NL East, or like we like to say, the NL least. You know, kind of like in, mm-hmm. in football, you know, the NFC least uh, with the Giants and the, and the Cowboys and the Redskins, or not the Redskins anymore, but you know where I'm going with this. And really, that's what the NL East was this year with the Mets and the Phillies and the Nationals and the, and the Braves won by attrition or whatever. So here's my question. Right. First question for you, Steve, is, is this team – under the radar, or are they really maybe not that good? No, they're good. They're good. There's no, no question. They're good. They might have uh, them and the Astros, as a matter of fact, have the two best infields in all of baseball. Yes. Yes. Uh, when you can, you know, look at the, you just go down the line and look at these guys and what they do uh, offensively and defensively. They cover a lot of ground on defense. They turn double plays. They don't make errors. And uh, it's interesting. And offensively, these guys are powerhouses. I mean, look at the names on there. Uh, from the Houston side, we talk about Bregman and Correa, uh, Altuve and Gurriel, who won the batting title at 37 years old. And on the other side, Freddie Freeman is one of the best damn hitters in, in baseball. Ozzie Albies, that's like a magician out there on defense, uh, covers all kinds of ground. Dansby Swanson is a weakling of this group who hit 27 home runs, by the way, this year. He was the least home run hitter on this team. And of course, uh, Austin uh, Austin Riley at right. third base is is one of the you know he's going to get a lot of consideration for MVP. Uh, so yeah, these are dynamite infields. Both of them are. Yeah, they are. And you know, a lot of people will say, well, the Braves got the Dodgers at the right time because the Dodgers were spent with their uh, their battle with San Francisco. And then you had the injuries, you know, with Max Muncie there in the last day of the regular season. Then you had the Shearzer, you know, injury as well, too. And then, you know, Bellinger really wasn't Bellinger maybe until, you know, you know, maybe this last week or so. So, I mean, how, mm-hmm. so, I mean, how true is, is, is all of that? And I, I know where you're probably going. You're probably thinking, hey, no, the, the Braves are good. But that has really been more of the narrative with the Braves recently. Well, uh, you know, look, look, a lot of this is when you catch a team. I mean, there's, that's no secret. I mean, we didn't have the most talent in 1988, um, but we got a really hot pitching staff at the time. Kirk Gibson was uh, doing some magical things, and we had guys just playing out of, over their skis, and the other team maybe, maybe was in a little bit of a lull. That happens all the time. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, so given that, I think all those things you mentioned are true, uh, but that doesn't matter. I mean, the Braves beat the Dodgers fair and square, and that's it. You move on. There's a better team. Um, and you move on and, and that's all that needs to be said about that. Mm-hmm. So I think the Braves are absolutely for real. There's no question about it. It's all going to come down to pitching though. How, how, how can you tame the offenses on each side, which are very, very good, the Astros probably have the edge as far as that is concerned, but that middle of that order for the uh, Atlanta Braves is smoking hot right now. Is there anybody hotter, hotter than Eddie Rosario? No. He got more hits than anybody ever has in, in an NLCS uh, game uh, in a series. Freddie Freeman has now gotten hot. Uh, Austin Riley, if you pitch him the middle end anywhere, if it's on the plate, he's going to crush it. Ozzie Albies is just amazing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, if anybody thinks that the Braves are a pushover, go ahead. Go ahead and try that and find out how that works for you. You know, they're not a, they're not a pushover at all. Yeah, and again, just because they don't have the household names, like you said, with Rosario and Riley, I mean, these guys had phenomenal seasons. And great point that you mentioned there about Dansby Swanson, a guy who's been unsung, right. uh, very good defensive player as well, too. Yeah, 27 homers there. Uh, let's talk mm-hmm. about the, the Houston Astros because they got veterans. They got leadership. They've been mm-hmm. here, you know, three out of the last five years. They've gone to the World Series. It have been to the, to the Championship Series, you know, five straight years. I mean, talk about – you talk about infields. I mean, the, the Braves got a great infield. But when you think of the Astros, that core has been together with Bregman and Correa and Altuve and Gurriel. I mean, those mm-hmm. guys are really the rock of, of this oh, team. Yeah. There's no question about yeah. how much of a factor uh, is that experience going to play into this World Series? I think it obviously means a lot. And those guys are for real. They're the real deal. I don't care what they did about banging garbage cans years ago. Um, doesn't matter. These guys can flat out hit. They got professional hitters uh, all over the lineup when they put guys out there. Uh, the pitching staff, even though they're going to miss Lance McCullers Jr., which is a big blow to this yep. team, they got guys stepping up like Fran Valdez and Luis Garcia. These guys really, really did step up. I think the key is going to be Zach Cranky and, uh, you know, how he performs. I think those other guys are going to do the job. Uh, and you may have to get a pen game going. You may have to get a bullpen game one day. So, um, for the most part, you know, I think you're talking about pretty evenly matched with an edge, maybe to Houston on the offense. So we look at the starting pitching. So Charlie Morton, who's been there, done that, and again, former Astro, and he's faced the Astros you know, several times since he left there you know, several years ago. So he's going to get the game one start. Framber Valdez, we'll see if, if he can be the Framber Valdez that uh, pitched uh, last time around with the eight strong innings and the Framber Valdez mm-hmm. that we saw for the majority of this season. That's interesting. Dusty hasn't named a game two starter as of yet. It's either probably going to be Garcia or maybe it's going to be your Keedy here, but when we start matching up the pitching here, Steve, uh, advantage which team? You know, I, I think it's about a push right now. Um, I think it may come down to the bullpens. I think the starting pitching is, is basically a push when you look on the Braves side with, you know, um, Max Freed, who was yep. after the All Star break, was the best pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. Dodgers touched him up a bit, but we'll see what happens now we're in this next round. Ian Anderson is a He's got a tremendous changeup. I mean, awesome changeup. This guy's got uh, one of the better ones in uh, in all of Major League Baseball. And of course, you talk about Charlie Morton, who's you know never seems to get old, and his stuff gets better and better all the time. I think it's a push. I think you know the, the Braves bullpen really did match the Dodgers bullpen, which is one of the best in all of baseball. Dodgers led Major League Baseball in pitching and ERA, and it wasn't even close. I mean, with all the power they had down there, but I think that stuff. That all that power and the depth in that Dodger bullpen got sucked out a little bit because of the the uh, you know the the schedule that they had. They played a ton of games. They had to go through the Giants in five games. It really pressed them a lot, and it took a lot of the juice out of this team. But you know this uh, this Braves team matched them. We talk about Minter and what, what Tyler Matzik has done. When they needed a strikeout, they did it, then, including striking three Dodgers in, out in a row. Uh, down the last game with runners on second and third and the winning run at the plate, and Tyler Matzik went out there and struck out the side. So that's, that's the kind of bullpen that the Braves have. You know, Max Free is going to get the game two start, and like you said, you know, didn't have a great outing. Dodgers touched him up big time, and that was a little bit of a surprise because, you know, Freed had 14 strikeouts, no walks uh, into the postseason before that game against the Dodgers. Let me ask you this. If you're the Braves, or you're a Braves fan here, should you be concerned with Freed because what he did do or did not do uh, in that last time against the Dodgers and considering that the Astros have this heavy-handed, right-hand, uh, you know, right-handed hitters in that lineup. And we mentioned you know, all of those guys right there. Is that a little bit of a concern for the Braves, especially with Freed coming off that shaky outing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's somewhat of a concern. I'm sure it's in the back of people's minds, maybe not even the back of their minds. I'm sure it's, uh, it's out there. But, but look, he's got a, he's got a really good changeup. He's got a great slider that he buries at the back foot of the right-handed hitters. It's kind of a neutralizing pitch where you talk about the righty-lefty matchup. Uh, so he's done it all year long, especially after the All-Star game. He was super buck 77 ERA thereafter the All-Star game. I'm not worried about Max Freed. I think he's going to come out and give a good performance. Um, even though it's Houston, you know, they, uh, they, they hunt the fastball. They like that fastball. They like it early in the count. Max Freed knows this, and he'll try to neutralize that.
All right, Steve Sachs joins us, the two-time World Series champion. All right, from a player's perspective here of being in a World Series compared to a league championship series or even a division series, how different is it with your, I'd say, not just preparation, but what are the biggest differences? Because you've got the ambience, you know, everything's electric, but then, you know, you may have some more TV and media commitments and that sort of thing. And the nerves are there as well, too. So mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. really plays a huge factor here. Talk about from your personal perspective and then what you've seen, you know, after you've retired is being around World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, yeah. how different is the World Series compared to what you just came off of? Um, well, there's obviously a, you know, a more heightened awareness of the, the, the moment. Uh, you know, the gravity of what's going on now is there's, there's no more than this. And some of these guys will never get to experience this again. You know, some guys are going to leave as a free agent. They're going to go to other teams and never experience this thing again. So be grateful that when you're there. Um, but I, I think that most of the nerves and et cetera that you alluded to uh, are before the game, a couple hours before the game. And then once the game starts, it's, it's just like, to me, it was just like another game. Um, with the exception, of course, that you, of course, realize it's a World Series and it's for all the marbles and all that's great. But you can also fall back on the, on the fact that you're in the World Series and many people try to get there and never do. So in a sense, you've already accomplished something going in there that you're playing in the World Series and kind of take some of the pressure off, I think. Um, but after the game starts, it's, it's kind of like another game. Um, to me. That's what it was. So we mentioned the Astros have been here before. The Braves haven't. And again, there's a long history there of, I don't want to say failures with the Braves organization, but of course none of these players know about that. But they don't know about being on this type of stage. Who do you think gets affected maybe the most by this big moment and the big stage of the World Series? Well, the, well, the Braves uh, don't have the experience, the recent experience that the Astros have. The you know, the, the Braves have been in postseason a lot, but not, not in the World Series. And so I think a little bit maybe you can say is going to go slanted towards the, uh, the Houston Astros. But, you know, I don't think there's a, there's a ton. I don't think anybody's going to be, you know, too much. It's going to, the moment's going to be too much for them. I don't think that's going to happen. These guys play in front of big crowds and TV all the time. And I think sometimes it's a little bit overrated uh, because these guys deal with this every day of their life, you know. So I think they're going to get it once the game starts. It's, you know, there's not much difference than, than playing in a regular season game, although you know, there's, a, there's a ton of stake. There's no question. But, hey, you're already in the World Series, so you've accomplished more than you know, 99.9% of other people. You know, and I agree with you, too, because when people when the Super Bowl comes around, people always point about, oh, the Super Bowl, because it is different. I mean, you usually have the two mm-hmm. weeks off. It's, you know, you're playing one game. You're not playing every day like Major League Baseball. And you know, you got the longer half times. you got all the pomp and circumstance. you got the media. Mm-hmm. You know, that's different. But you're right. With baseball, it's the same thing. You're playing at the same time. You know, you're going to have a 5.08 Pacific start time. You know, everything's the same. You've been playing every day, you know, two, three yeah. games, and then you have a day off. So really, there is a lot of similarity. Like you said, I mean, you know, once you get past all the the hyperbole and everything, it is mm-hmm. baseball the way you've been playing it the entire season, right? Yeah, yes. Although, you know, there's a certain, there's an absolute finality to it because, right. you know, pretty soon, you know, ten, in 10 days, this is all going to be over. And I'm sure guys don't think about that too much. I certainly did, and I was... It, you know, the good thing about this, too, about the World Series, it's really easy, very easy to stay in the moment. And and that's maybe a difficult thing for people to do when you're talking about a long season. You know, just it's in uh, May or June, and, you know, you, you got a long way to go. And, you know, you think down the line, and sometimes your mind can, mind can wander a little bit, but not in the World Series. I mean, you, you're going to be done next week. And so... You know, you're uh, you're thinking, man, this is this is great, it's wonderful, and it's easy to stay in the moment, and that's that's an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. If you could do that all the time, we'd be better players. There you go. All right, uh, the biggest keys, in your opinion, to this series? Well, it's always who pitches best. I mean, pitching's a you know the name of the game. I think the infields are equally matched. I think starting pitching is pretty close. I think uh, it's going to depend on whether this this Boston or I'm sorry, this uh, Atlanta team can deal with the firepower of the Houston Astros. I mean, that, this, this lineup does not have a place to take a, take a back seat for a second and take a breath. You got everybody on this team. You got guy hitting seventh, Yuli Gurriel, who won the batting title this year. So 
I mean, this team is stacked all the way through, and they're dangerous. They can put a crooked number on that board in just a, in a it seems like a millisecond the way this team plays. So I think that's going to be the key is, is will the Braves rise to the occasion to keep this tremendous offense at bay? I think that's the key. And to your point, Houston scored 67 runs in their 10 postseason games. Six of their seven wins have come by five or more runs, and they mm-hmm. have scored 45. 45 of the 67 runs have come with two outs. Unheard of. Yeah. Unheard right. of. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's completely antithetical to what the Dodgers could not do, right? They could not get a big hit to save their life. And here, you know, that's what you see with the, the Astros. They live, they live in that world. Real quick, Steve, uh, what's the best storyline here? I mean, we've got the Dusty storyline. Brian Snicker's kind of a cool story, too. He's been with the Braves organization for yeah. a long time. He's, mm-hmm. you know, almost as old as Dusty. But what do you think the best storyline is of this World Series? Um, let's see. Best storyline for these two teams is, uh, wow. Um, it, it's hard to say. Um, well, I don't know what the best thing means. There's so many of them. With yeah, the change of yeah. information today, yeah. you know, you can talk about the Snickers story. Um, I think the best one for me is, the best one for me is, uh, for Dusty Baker, it, the best storyline is he, he comes in and kind of washes clean the slate of a team that was going to really take the wrath of the American public. Dusty really blunted that possibility just by coming in and, and being there on the team now, and he was not a part of this uh, horrible thing that happened a couple of years ago with, you know, trash can incidents and whatnot and cheating scandal. Dusty really blunted the, the, uh, all of the wrath coming from the public because he was not a part of it. So I think that's the biggest one for me. Yep, I totally agree with you. All right, final prediction. Steve Sack, who who wins and how many games? I think we're going to see Houston in six. I like that's it. That's my prediction. All right. I like the Astros in six. All and my right. friend Dusty Baker will finally win his World Series. We hope so, man. Rooting for yeah. him big time. Good stuff, man. All right, brother. Yeah. Uh, appreciate okay. you as always. You can catch him on MLB Network Radio. You got a schedule for this week? We can uh, listen to you. Oh, just I'm on every day. I'm on every night, it seems, until November, first week of November. Yeah, I'm on every day. All right, he's sounding great, ladies and gentlemen. You might get a limerick. You might get a poem. You never know what you're going to get from Steve Sachs. Go to the podcast. The the podcast, the Sachs in the Morning podcast. Check it daily. And And what is it again? I love how you said that. It's the... The the, uh, it's, it's the just a dose of emotional nutrition. There it is. There it is. In the morning. It that's is. right. It's good to start your day with some positive influence, and that's what you're going to get in the podcast. Perfect, brother. All right, be good, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank okay. you. See you, buddy. Here Take it care. is, my man, Steve Sachs. Oh yeah, him, Dusty Baker, our Sacktown crew. We're all rooting for Dusty, no doubt about it. All right, we come back. We talk more NFL. We'll talk some World Series. Matt Holt is going to join us. Heidi Fang is in the house, too. Get ready. Hour number one in the books. The T.C. Martin Show on this marvelous Monday.